Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, so good to be with you today. What an honor and a privilege to be able to come and join you in your Sunday service. I know that it's been crazy times right now. I'd love to be there in person, but even just being able to join you online, what an honor to be able to partner with you and your church for all that God is doing, and he is doing a lot in this season. It's exciting all that God is doing in the lives of people. Before I jump into the word today, which I do have a word, I first just want to say how much I love and adore your pastors, really consider them to be friends, and so, so honored to be a part of uh, what God is doing there at your church. And so Pastor Tyler, Pastor Rachel, thank you for allowing me to come and speak to your church and your people today. And just know that everybody from Jesus Culture is standing with you guys and really praying for revival for that entire region and just so love and appreciate your pastors. They're world class. They're world class. If you have your Bibles, get them out. We're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read actually a little bit decent portion of scripture in just a moment. We're going to read a story about Elijah. But I want to start by this. God's heart for you is that you would live encouraged and full of hope. As believers, the Bible actually says that we're to be of courage, that we're to be encouraged, and that we are to be abounding, overflowing in hope. So so as a Christian, your inheritance is that of courage and hope. But it's very... uh, easy in seasons that we're in right now, it's very easy in seasons that are like this to actually begin to lose hope and be discouraged. Even though God calls us to live full of courage that we live kind of hopeless and discouraged. It's just something that we work through. I'm going to get into this more in just a minute, but every area of discouragement in your life or every area of hopelessness is somewhere connected to a lie that you're believing. God wants you to not only live encouraged, he wants you to live full of hope, but both of those things are connected to truth. When it says that Jesus came to set Jesus came to give you freedom. He came to set you free, and the Bible says that truth will set you free. So Jesus comes as truth. He speaks truth. And his, Jesus is wanting to connect you to truth. So when I am connected to truth, I am connected to freedom. When I'm connected to the truth about God, when I'm connected about the truth about myself, when I'm connected to truth about a situation, then when I'm connected to truth, it brings freedom. The enemy comes to get you in bondage. He's trying to not have you be free. He's trying to have you be in bondage. And the way that he gets you in bondage is he connects you to a lie. So when we believe a lie, the result is bondage. When I believe truth, the result is freedom. Now, my goal today is very simple as I speak to you, Mission Church, is that I want you to leave today full of courage and full of hope and walking in freedom. But all of those things have to have a clear understanding that I then have to be connected to truth and not believing a lie. There's a verse that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He's writing to the Corinthians and he writes this. This is out of the New American Standard. So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan 
or, or one translation is outwitted or outsmarted, so that we were not outwitted or outsmarted by Satan. So he says, so that no advantage would be, would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, you know, Satan didn't take advantage of us. Satan did not wit us. He didn't outsmart us. And he could not take advantage of us because we are not ignorant of how he works. Paul said, I understand how Satan works. Therefore, he can't take advantage of me. He can't outwit or outsmart me. Do you know how the enemy works? Satan works by trying to lie to you. His goal is to get you to believe a lie. It's how, he, it's how he operates. The Bible says that he is the father of lies, and the Bible says that his native language is lies. So he's trying to lie to you so that you'll be in bondage and not experience freedom. This is something that we all face. I'm going to tell you a story about Elijah right now, but it's fascinating to me. Elijah, this is like the main prophet in the Old Testament. This is a guy who hears from God, is close to God, and yet still got into a situation where he began to believe lies. Elijah comes off this incredible victory on Mount Carmel. 450 prophets of Baal defeated. Fire comes from heaven, burns up the offering, and nation turns back to God. Right after that, that moment he finds himself not on the mountain anymore but in the valley believing lies and here's the three lies we're going to unpack them but here's the three lies that Elijah believed the first lie is this he believed that God had abandoned him or at least was not for him he believed that God had abandoned him or maybe he was with him but he he for sure wasn't for him we can see this. It, many times for me, what I find is, is that people begin to believe this lie. I rarely find that a Christian turns into a full-blown atheist. What I do find, though, is that we turn into situational atheists. We believe in God. We just don't believe he's for us or with us in this moment. I believe in God. I just don't believe that he's in my marriage I believe in God, I just don't believe he's for me in my finances. We become situational atheists. He's got the whole world in his hands, as the Sunday school song says, he just doesn't have my health in his hands. He just doesn't have my marriage in his hands. He just doesn't have my finances in his hands. He just doesn't have my future in his hands. And we begin to believe the lie that God has abandoned us or is not for us. Elijah believed this. Second lie that Elijah believed was that the situation was hopeless, and it's connected to the first one. When God is not with me or he's not for me, then he, he, began, he believed that the lie, we're going to read this, the lie that, God, that the situation was hopeless. You see this because it says that Elijah sat down. People that have, people that have no hope believe there's no future and so when I believe there's no future why would I continue to move forward so sitting down is a picture of hopelessness when I have hope I believe there's a future and I move forward when I have no hope I don't believe there's a future so I don't move forward Elijah sat down and the third one is this Elijah believed that in the midst of God not being with him and the situation and hopeless that he was actually all alone that there was nobody 
with him. And God comes and deals with that. First Kings, let's read this real quick and then I'm just gonna make a few quick points. First Kings chapter 19, and hang with me because we're gonna read for a little bit on this thing. First Kings chapter 19, starting in verse one. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. I'll tell you the rest of the story. Elijah gets to the mountain of God. He encounters the presence of God. And then God tells him that there's more than just him in the land. How does, how does someone who has an encounter on the mountain, at the level and magnitude that Elijah did, I mean, how does he see an entire nation turn, prophets killed, the prophets of Baal killed, uh, fire come down from heaven? How does somebody who stands in truth in such a profound way that if I pray, God will respond, if I call out to God, he will answer with fire from heaven, how does Elijah stand in such truth and the next day begin to believe lies? How does he stand in truth in such a profound way and the next day lies begin to find a foothold in his life? This is the word that I want to speak to you and I think is really actually prophetic in this moment because this is the simplicity of what I want to say today. Elijah began to believe lies because Elijah was worn out. If you know the backstory, Elijah had prophesied a drought and because of the drought for three and a half years there was severe famine in the land so the entire nation of Israel blamed Elijah for the pain they were experiencing in famine because of the word that he gave about drought not only that Ahab was trying to kill him and so he's on the run from Ahab it had gotten so bad that he was having to have widows provide their last portion of food for him to be able to eat like it was a bleak time and he was worn out and all of a sudden he gets on the mountain gets extreme victory but he was still worn out and when he came down he began to believe lies I believe we begin to believe lies when we are worn out and drop our guard I'm going to use a boxing analogy, but if you watch boxing at all, if you're even just a casual fan of boxing, you will know that boxers, one of the main strategies is, is you've got to keep your hands up. You've got to keep your guard up. And then if a boxer drops his or her guard, they are in danger because all of a sudden um, their face is exposed. And if, and if the opponent gets access to their face, the fight will be over. And so you'll see boxers even, they kind of have a habit of just touching their forehead. It's just training themselves to never drop their guard, to keep their guard up. 
And when they drop their guard, they become exposed and vulnerable. You know, the Bible tells us that we're to guard our heart. But not just that we're to guard our heart, that it's to be our top priority. Listen to this verse in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The writer in Proverbs says this, Listen, whatever priorities you have, above all of that, here's your top priority. Guard your heart. Don't drop the guard on your heart. It's amazing to me how many believers I know that don't know how to do this one simple thing, that they don't realize that when they are worn down and when they are weary and when they have gone through a season that has been rough, that they have to keep their guard up because it is in those moments that we want to drop our guard. And when we drop our guard, we become vulnerable to a lie that, wasn't, that, that had no place in our life the day before, all of a sudden begins to find a foothold. And when lies begin to come in, discouragement, hopelessness, all of those things are connected. You gotta keep your guard up. You have one priority, a top priority. There's a, if you've ever watched any type of war movie or um, there's always in the scenes uh, what they call combat medics. So somebody may get shot and then the soldier will be yelling for a medic and a medic will come out and treat the soldier on the battlefield or hopefully if they can get them off. Combat medics are trained in something called tactical combat casualty care, TCCC. Tactical Combat Casualty Care. It's actually three phases that they're trained in. Uh, the first one, which I'm going to talk about being called Care Under Fire, that's when the battle is still going and they're trying to treat their patient. And then the second one is maybe the battle's not as intense, but they have limited equipment. The third one is they're not at a hospital, but they have a setup. But the first phase that, they're, that these combat medics are trained in is called Care Under Fire, and it's this. It's care rendered at the scene of the injury while both the medic and the casualty are under hostile fire. Available medical equipment is limited to that carried by each operator and the medic. This stage focuses on a quick assessment and placing a tourniquet on any major bleed. It focuses on major hemorrhaging and airway complications such as tension pneumothorax. In other words, if I'm a combat medic and I get out onto the battlefield, and let's say Pastor Tyler is there, when I get out to him, I have to be able to assess quickly what matters most in that moment. I have to be able to assess quickly what needs to be treated and what doesn't. There, there's a priority that I have to understand out there. Because if Pastor Tyler, if I go out and I'm working on his broken ankle, but he's bleeding out, in that moment, it's not his broken ankle that matters. It's the, it's the major bleeding that matters. If I get to him and I'm working on his dislocated shoulder, but he can't breathe, his dislocated shoulder is not top priority. It's the breathing. And so combat medics are trained to be able to assess quickly what matters. Can you breathe? Is there any major bleeding? Let's fix that. Everything else we'll deal with later. Here's my point. Many believers, they don't seem to understand what that when they are under fire in their life, that their top priority above 
all else is to make sure you guard your heart in that moment. Guard your heart in that moment. It's amazing to me just to see how many marriages have ended. How many people have left church. Churches they've been at for a long time. Marriages they've been in. Whatever else it is. Lies that they weren't believing before begin to get in simply because they were in a season of being under fire and when they were worn out, when they were worn down, when they had grown weary, they stopped guarding their heart. And when they dropped their guard, lies began to come in. Toxins, bitterness, offense, Things began to take root in their heart simply because they began to believe a lie, simply because they were in a season of being worn out and they didn't know how to keep their guard up in that season. They didn't know how to assess the situation. I want to tell people sometimes, listen, we'll deal with all the rest. Top priority, guard your heart. Listen, not a, listen the COVID situation, this shutdown, you may, be, you may be soaring and you may be just doing better than you've ever done, but, but for many people... The, the, the season of uncertainty, it has put strain on marriages. You're trying to figure out how to raise kids in the midst of it. You're not sure what the economy is going to be like. You've been shut up. There's all of these things, the, 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 the health factor and the fear and the anxiety and all that's swirling around. Many times it's in these seasons that we don't realize I'm letting my guard down because I'm worn out. And I want to tell you, Mission Church, I'm here today to say this, keep your guard up. And I'm going to tell you how practically, but above all else, keep your guard up. And guys, there are so many reasons why we get worn out. Sometimes it's global pandemics that just cause uh, us to just, man, we're just staying in faith and trying to figure out finances and trying to figure out how to telecommute and trying to figure out how to homeschool my kids and trying to figure out this and trying to figure out that and we're just worn out. Sometimes it's just life coming at us. Sometimes it's seasons that last longer. I, sometimes I tell a story. Sometimes it's what I call a cat in the U-Haul season. My wife, if you know her, she loves pets, and, and uh, so I married into literally a zoo, I think, the amount of animals we've had over the years. Uh, but really, the first animal we had, we'd only been married a few months, and it was a cat that she had in high school. She grew up down here in the Sacramento area, but she grew up on the top of a mountain, 10 acres. So she had gotten this cat when she was in high school, and then she moved away to college, met me, we got married. And every time we'd come home, the, the, her family wasn't taking care of the cat. So the cat's name was Sal. And Sal would just live in the woods. And then every time we'd come home, this white cat, Sal would come out of the woods after eating whatever. I don't even know what they eat out there, but like just mangy and nasty and just matted and flea. It was bad. But we'd come home and, and CJ would take care. We'd come to our house for the weekend. CJ would take care of the cat. And finally, she just looked at me and said, we've got to bring this cat home. I cannot do this anymore. This is, I can't see this cat like this. So we worked out a plan to somehow bring Sal home. And we had brought a U-Haul this weekend because we we're also bringing some other stuff back. And so we get Sal, I'm driving the U-Haul, CJ's in the other car. So I put Sal in, I put Sal in the U-Haul with me and, and, I, and we're just about to drive away. And Sal is, is 
his paws on the driver's side window, standing on top of me with his, you know, back paws on my leg. I'm like reaching over him to drive, and it's not even a meow. It's like a scream. I don't know how to describe. He's just screaming, and I'm like, I've got three hours. I have a three-hour drive ahead of me with this cat standing on me, screaming. I'm about 60 seconds away from their house, and not only was Sal screaming, but all of a sudden I felt this warmth all over my lap. And Sal decided to pee all over me. So I called CJ and said, this cat just peed on me. And we pulled over her granny's house. was just right there as we were driving by. So we pulled over to her granny's house. I'm trying to somehow get clean up this cat pee all over me. And um, her granny says, well, I have this, like, cardboard box that the vet gave me one time. And it's kind of like a temporary cat carrier you can have that so we bring it out it was too small for sal but i didn't care i just shoved sal in it close it up and put him next to me he's meowing 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 i got pee on me and all right we're gonna drive home three hours we're driving home three hours and all of a sudden about 10 minutes onto the freeway i start smelling and guys i don't know how to fully describe this it was the worst stench i'd ever smelled in my entire life it was so rank and so bad and Sal had diarrhea all inside this box and then was like thrashing around in there. Guys, this is diarrhea from years of living in the woods, eating I don't know what, and just diarrhea all inside the box. And I, I, you know, I'm like kind of gagging, trying not to gag in this thing. And I finally just rolled the window down and like tried to stick my head out the window for the three-hour ride home. Okay, this is the reality. Sometimes we wonder like, well, why am I so worn down? Sometimes it's just a cat in the U-Haul season. <laughs> Sometimes you just have a lot of stuff coming at you. So, you know, people will come up and be like, hey, how's it going? Uh, it's just kind of a cat in the U-Haul type season. There's just a lot of stuff going on and I'm tired and I'm worn down. And then what happens is, is many times we get worn down because, the, because it lasts longer than we thought too. Welcome to COVID-19, right? Hey, well, I can, you know, I can hold up for three weeks. Kind of sounds, all right, that's fine. We'll flatten the curve. Three weeks will be fine. Six months later, like after a while, it's like I've got faith and I believe in God and this is going to be great and we're positive and all that type of stuff. And then sometimes you drop your guard just because the, the, it lasts so much longer than you thought. And then just like a boxer in later rounds, you just begin to drop your guard. Three quick things. Are you ready? Three quick things about how to keep your guard up. How do I keep my guard up in a season where I'm getting worn down? And again, the goal is to live just. The goal is to live encouraged. The goal is to live full of hope. But when I drop my guard, I begin to believe lies. And every area of discouragement in my life, every area of hopeless in my life, hopelessness in my life is connected to a lie somewhere. And most of the time, the lie is always that God is not with me or he's not for me. 
almost always, that when I look at my finances and I am discouraged, it's because I believe God is not with me or he's not for me. When I look at my marriage and I'm discouraged, it's because I believe God is not with me or God's not for me. So how do I keep my guard up so that I can continue to hold on to truth and not allow lies, what the Bible calls arrows? Uh, How do I not allow those arrows to get in? Three quick things from the story of Elijah. First one is this. Don't underestimate the power of a meal and a nap. Don't underestimate the power of a meal and a nap. Guys, it is amazing to me, and if you grew up in charismatic circles, you'll get this even more. It's amazing to me how much we disconnect our spiritual life from our physical life. Our spiritual life, our mental life, our emotional life, and our physical life, we don't think they're somehow connected. This is what I love about Elijah's worn down. It was three and a half years of a fight for him. Being on the run from Ahab, having everybody blame him for their misery. Uh, like it was not eating great. Like, like it was a, it was a long, long three years. And you know what God does? God, God's going to come and he's gonna, he's, his presence is going to come. He's going to deal with lies that Elijah had been believing. But you know what his first thing he said, first thing that happened was Elijah just needed to take a nap and God gave him a meal. Happened to him twice. Just take a nap. God's like, I'm going to come. I'm going to speak to Elijah. I'm going to bring my presence and transform you. But you know what you need right now? You need to go to sleep and you need to get a good meal. We need, to, we need to stop disconnecting our physical lives with our spiritual lives because when you're worn out, you begin to drop your guard. What's the meal and a nap in your life? It's funny, in charismatic circles too, man, if you're not doing well, sometimes it just says this, and I'm a charismatic Pentecostal all the way, believe deeply in prayer and fasting, believe deeply in seeking God. But sometimes, you know, it's like, man, I'm not doing good. You know what you need to do? You need to get up in the morning and get less sleep, and you need to go on a fast and stop eating. You know what you need? You need less sleep and less food. That's what you need. And I love this about God. God's like, hey, Elijah, you know what you need? You need to go to sleep. Get a nap and get some food, and then I'm going to come and talk with you. I don't know what your meal and a nap is, but can I give you permission to, to do it? Go on vacation. Take some time. Get a hobby. <laughs> like, like, what is it? I'm, CJ, when, when my wife, when we had little kids, she'd be at home with the babies. And I remember I'd come home from a hard day of youth pastoring. Hard day of youth pastoring where I had to take kids out to Starbucks and I had to plan some retreats and we had to play some ping pong, like a hard day of youth pastoring. I'd come home from youth pastoring and I'd be met at the door with CJ, hair a little frazzled, hollow eyes, just holding a baby, handing me a baby. And, I, and I'd be like, what's going on? She goes, take the baby. And I'm like, okay, I, had a, I work today too, okay? All right, you're not the only one. I work too. And she'd always look at me and go, I was in my early 20s, so for all the women, please forgive me for this. But she'd look at me and go, did you go to the bathroom by yourself today? Did you go to the bathroom by yourself today? I'm like, well, yeah, a few times. She goes, yeah, I I didn't go to the bathroom by myself once. Take the baby. And then so I take, I'm like, okay, all right. So I take the baby. And you know what she'd do? She'd go to Target. And at Target, they had like a little food area. And she would get a hot pretzel. And she wouldn't even buy anything at Target. She'd get a hot pretzel and she would walk around Target 
eating a hot pretzel, just looking at things. People from our church would run into her <laughs> walking the aisles of Target with a hot pretzel, not buying anything. But you know what? You got to find your meal in a nap. I don't know what your meal in a nap is, but make sure that you don't downplay or dismiss the role of physical health and rest when it comes to your spiritual life and lies that you may believe in. Many times when people come to me and they're struggling with lies, I just said, listen, best thing you can do is get some sleep. Get some sleep. It's amazing how many lies we believe when we're just tired. Second thing is this. Always keep one foot in water. I'm not going to go into the full story of this, but, but always keep one foot in water. We, I, I, I met a, um, years, years ago, I met in Las Vegas the son of a Navy SEAL who served in the Vietnam era. And he said, you know, my dad and the SEALs, they have this phrase, always keep one foot in water. And what they mean by that is what separates the SEALs from other special operation forces is their ability to thrive in water. Water, which is normally a pretty harsh environment for the rest of the world, but for SEALs who have trained so extensively in it, it's where they're actually most comfortable, most confident. And so, so if, if they're on a level playing field if they're under fire and they're and they're getting you know they're it may be a level playing field with the the opposing army here and if they're in trouble they retreat to water they always know where water is because if they get in trouble they retreat to water because although it may be a level playing field here it's no longer a level playing field the minute we get into water because that, that water is harsh for everybody else, but it's where I'm most comfortable and confident as a seal. In the same way, we have to always keep one foot in the presence of God. As believers, our default mode has to be the presence of God. That when I am worn out, when I am believing lies, I must retreat to his presence. Because in his presence, in his presence, there are things that, that thrive and things that die. There are things that are given oxygen and there are things that are deprived of oxygen. I may be believing the lies of powerlessness here. I may be believing the lies of hopelessness here. I may be believing the lies of bondage here. But when I get into the presence of God, where I may have been discouraged there, courage begins to come. Where I may have felt hopeless there, hope begins to come. Where, my, where I may have been powerless there, power comes. You've got to have the default mode of, of getting into his presence. You can do this on your own. I miss greatly gathering as a people right now. And the thing I miss the most is corporate worship being together just corporately encountering the presence of God together. But just because we can't gather corporately together right now doesn't mean that you can't encounter the presence of God. He is with you anytime you turn your heart to him, your affections and your attention. As you just turn your attention to him, God's presence comes. Take time to be in his presence. And the third thing is this. Who you show up with matters. Elijah, it's funny, the lie that he believed that he was all alone. God's going to deal with that. He's going to tell him there's thousands that haven't bowed the knee. But Elijah literally left his servant so he could go a day's journey to complain to God about how he's all by himself. He left someone 
so he could complain about how he's all alone. Who you show up with matters. Mission Church, community matters greatly. And, and people that are independent and people that are isolated, people that have allowed themselves to be isolated from community are the ones that are the biggest targets for the enemy to put lies in and to get discouraged because community is one of the things that God has given us that actually comes and brings truth and strength and courage to us in the midst of the fight. I... Uh, my strength finders, if you ever do strength finders, my top, I think it's like command and then competition. Like competition is one of my top strengths. I love to compete, love to play basketball. I hate losing, all that stuff. And um, a few years ago, I was going every year to a large youth conference in Colorado Springs. And uh, Corey Asbury, who many of you would know who Corey Asbury is, he's the one that wrote um, Reckless Love. Corey Asbury was the worship pastor at the time there, and, and he got a hold of me and said, hey, we're putting together, after the session you do at the conference, we're putting together a worship leaders versus preachers basketball game. And, and Corey is a great guy, great worship leader, anointed, but just a talker, right? He's like, so you in for this? Let's do this. Worship leaders against preachers. I said, that sounds like a blast. So I get done with my sermon that night, and then we go to this, 11 o'clock at night, we go to this gym. First of all, you know, Colorado Springs is like a mile in the air of altitude. And uh, I get there, I can't even breathe. But, but the preacher team got killed, crushed. Worship leaders crushed us. We lost, I think, every game. It was so bad. So I go home, and, uh, you know, my wife's like, how's the conference? It was horrible. It sucked. I hated it. She's like, wow, was it not that good in the service? No, the service was great. But, man, we lost every single game, you know. So a month later, they call me. The conference calls me back and says, hey, we'd like you to come and be a speaker again next year. I said, great. Corey gets hold of me. Hey, preachers versus worship leaders, round two. I said, yes, absolutely. I will be there and I'll be ready for it. I got off the phone with him and I called a friend of mine. Now this friend was the point guard for Berkeley. He was the point guard for Cal and then he played professionally international. So I called Brandon. Brandon, what you doing, my man? He said, oh, you know, not much. I said, hey, listen, man, I've just been thinking about you and... And, you know, love to connect. He goes, oh, that'd be awesome. I said, listen, man, I just been, man, you should go on a ministry trip with me sometime. I'd love for you to go on a ministry trip. What do you think? You want to go on a ministry trip? And Brandon's like, man, that'd be great. I said, man, God's doing some good stuff in Colorado Springs. I'll be in Colorado Springs this upcoming summer. I'd love for you to come. God's, he's moving mightily amongst young people in Colorado Springs. Brandon said, that'd be great. I'm like, all right, man, maybe bring your basketball shoes. And maybe we can, maybe, we'll see if there's maybe some open gym or something we can play out there. So, so I bring Brandon. I show up the next year with Brandon, my Pac-12 point guard, international basketball player. He's a good friend. I love Brandon. So Brandon comes and we show up and he was my, he was my ministry assistant, armor bearer. And uh, so we're there. We get there that night. I, I, I preach my message. Honestly, I, it was, I don't even, it was five minutes. I get up. I'm like, all right, guys, listen, kids, God loves you. Share your faith. Read your Bible. Okay. And uh, I just want to go play basketball. So we get there at the gym that night. I've got Brandon. I mean, top five night of my life. We crushed the worship leader team. Crushed them. I think we lost one game because a guy chucked in a three or something. But we, we won 
every game. And I think Brandon, I'm not even sure I shot the ball. I think I just gave the ball to Brandon every time down the court. I'm like, Brandon, you should shoot a three. Brandon, you should go to the hole. Brandon, you should. Like, I didn't, listen, I didn't care. I just wanted our team to win. Guys, listen to me. Who you show up with matters. Listen to, listen to me right now. I can, uh, like, why? It's amazing to me how many people are getting beat up. They are believing lies. They are getting beat up. They are getting thrashed, and then they just keep showing up on their own. They just keep showing up on their own. I may get beat one time, but I have friends. Why would I show up again on my own? Why would I show up again on my own? If I'm having a hard time on my marriage, why would I show up again to my own? If I'm having a hard time with my purity, if I'm having a hard time with my finances, if I'm having a hard time with the lies that I've been believing, why would I show up to that fight on my own again when I have friends? And I don't just have friends, I have friends that are ballers. I have friends that can play. Why? So listen, I'm not that dumb. I may get beat once, but I'm calling Brandon. Because I've got a friend who will show up with me and I don't have to come to this thing on my own. This is my challenge for you. Get, like physically take care of yourself, get a meal, you know, take a nap, eat a meal, get into the presence of God, but stay connected that when you get disconnected from community, when you get isolated, it's one of the prime times in your life when lies begin to get a foothold in your life. We all need Brandons in our life. We all need those that will come and show up with us. Who you show up with matters in the midst of this thing. Father, I just pray right now for all those in this season, whether it's been a wonderful season or a tough season, God, we know that in the midst of this, the enemy's trying to feed us lies, that he's trying to discourage us, get us hopeless. But God, we recognize that we're to be a people of hope and courage, but that's connected to truth. Father, I pray that you would teach us to guard our heart, to guard our heart. Father, I just pray that today you would encourage people, that you would speak truth to them, they'd be full of hope in the name of Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.